nerds. It's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. ANS protocol is active. Now packing a numerous variety of trick shot arrows. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, so this week we're breaking down episode three of Hawkeye, and we'll also be reviewing the first season of Chucky and Netflix's Cowboy Bebop. Plus, we'll be talking all the latest happenings in AEW. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first up, we're going to be getting more Spider-Man films starring Tom Holland as confirmed by producer Amy Pascal after No Way Home. All right. So in a brand new interview, producer Amy Pascal confirmed that there are plans for at least three more Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland at least returning for the next film. Uh, Also, Marvel Studios will be involved in making the movies and the events depicted in the films will be taking place in the MCU. She's quoted as saying, this is not our last movie that we're going to make with Marvel. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. We're thinking of these as three films. And now we're going on to the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. She's really trying to drive that point home, if you can't tell. (laughs) So we talked about this previously uh, a while back, actually, when Tom Holland was quoted in an interview, kind of talking about, you know, this film being kind of the end of an era when it comes to, like, his Spider-Man run. Uh, Every site was kind of, you know, taking it as, like, he might be done with the franchise. But if you actually read the entire quote, I think that's a bit of a stretch. And especially now with this news. What I really think he was trying to say is we're going to be moving on to a new chapter for the character of Spider-Man. And that's not to say that eventually someone can't come along and take over the role for him. But if you're paying attention, they're definitely setting up Peter to be the focal point of the MCU. And I'm sure Sony's going to want to be along for the ride. Again, for me, this is just a kind of like a, a no shit moment uh-huh. for, uh, uh, yeah they're gonna make more spider-man films with the thing that's making them all this money yes um, it'd I mean, be bigger news try- if it was like no we don't like money no more spider-man for anyone yeah right like <laughs> of course you're gonna make more spider-man films like i'm not trying to sound rude but it's just like at a certain point do we need these announcements do, do they need to come out and say this well they did kind of like backtrack but i really think it was more of we want to make an official announcement probably like after the film goes over the, uh-huh. the next film goes over like a billion dollars or something you know like hey more spider-man films on the way I'm guessing because they were kind of like, well, hold on. You know, we don't know about the count. We don't know if it's going to be three films or whatever. But I mean, she seems really desperate to like, you know, make sure Uh fans know that we're going to be continuing the story and it's going to be with the MCU. So which I, I get, right? It's fair. I mean, they broke the website or all the websites, I should say, like a week ago when they had that um, the release of the tickets. Yes, so, I mean, right? it's going to do well. It was like endgame level correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it's going to do really well then. 
Well, up next, we got another Marvel star returning for the Disney Plus series Secret Invasion. So Deadline is reporting Secret Invasion has added another Marvel mainstay to the series with Kobe Smulders joining as Maria Hill. In a move really surprising no one, Hill will once again aid Nick Fury as he works to uncover the conspiracy throughout the series. I just uh, personally hope they see this as kind of a chance also to like flesh out Hill's character a little more because she's pretty fucking awesome in the comics and it'd be nice to give the character more dimension and just, I don't know, more things to do. Also a quick note, Batgirl has started production. So yes, the directors of the upcoming Batgirl film for HBO Max both took to Instagram this past week to confirm that production had already officially started on the project, sharing a photo of the film's slate. Uh, the photo also seemingly offers a glimpse at the set of the film as we see a nameplate on a desk reading Officer Barbara Gordon. I mean, that's definitely good news. We know Batgirl's set to land on HBO Max sometime in 2022. We also got casting news as Nicolas Cage has been casted as Dracula for the Renfield spinoff. So the Hollywood Reporter revealed that Nicolas Cage has been signed on to star in Renfield, the upcoming monster movie for Universal Pictures. So the film will be directed by Nicholas McKay, uh, who also directed The Tomorrow War and the Lego Batman movie. Uh, the film will star Nicholas Holt as the title character Renfield, uh, the henchman and acolyte of Dracula. The script is written by Ryan Ridley of Rick and Morty fame, and is based on an outline from The Walking Dead and Invincible co-creator Robert Kirkman. Also, both McKay and Kirkman are on board as co-producers. So the cast of Nicolas Cage's Dracula could either be brilliant or a complete fucking disaster. But regardless, like, I'm buying a ticket to see it. I mean, honestly, I feel like Cage would be better suited to be playing Renfield. I mean, we all know he has that matic energy that Dwight Fry like originally brought to the role in the Universal Monster film. So I don't know. And Tom Waits was also great, by the way. But regardless, I mean, Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula. So uh, I'm curious to see what a Nicolas Cage Dracula is going to be like. Uh, I'm guessing, too, by like this casting and who's involved with the script that this film is going to have more of a comedic tone. But I could be wrong. Who knows? I mean, to further your speculation on this being a comedy, Aquafina, as reported by Deadline, has also been added to this film, um, who is a great comic on her own right. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's break down episode three of Hawkeye, Echoes. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Hawkeye series ahead. You have been warned. I buy Imagine Dragons tickets for my girlfriend as like early uh, Christmas gift. Hmm. Right? That's so sweet. Oh, sweet. Then we had to fight. You know what she said? She mm. said that the tickets were a gift. So she wants to bring her sister. I mean, look on the bright side. You don't have to go see Imagine Dragons. I love Imagine Dragons. In this week's episode of Hawkeye, we get a glimpse into the past of our newly introduced character, Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, as we see her struggling to focus and read lips in elementary school, even with a possible interpreter in class, as she is deaf. During this flashback, we meet Maya's father, William, who is clearly a member of the tracksuit mafia in the past. Here, William states that he can't afford to put her in a more specialized school, but also gives her the key advice to jump between two worlds 
worlds by watching closely to others. This is something that Maya takes to heart as we see her in a martial arts class and easily being able to take down a much larger opponent just by studying his movements. I really thought this was a great way to start off the episode. I was happy that they like gave this much time to really like Maya's like backstory. I almost started to think like maybe we get like a full episode all about Maya, but I really thought this episode was the perfect blend of, you know, her origin story and still like continuing on like, you know, the action adventure romp that the series has been so far. Also, I'm totally drawing a blank on the actor who's playing uh, Maya's father, but he's a fantastic character actor. Uh, he was in Doctor Sleep. Uh, he was in, I believe, like the second season of Fargo. Uh, but I, they did a really good job here of just like establishing their relationship in a very like quick fashion. I mean, just in a couple scenes, they did a great job of really establishing like, you know, the father daughter relationship and just how much they meant to each other. Also in this scene during her martial arts class, we see a mysterious hand come into focus and pinch the young Maya's cheek, which come on, it has to be a nod to Kingpin, right? So yes, my friend, you're correct. Uh, I didn't want to necessarily spoil it last week when Maya first arrived on the scene, uh, just in case. Uh, but in the comics, Maya's father works for Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin himself, uh, when he dies. So uh, the Kingpin ends up taking over guardianship and once he recognizes her talents, he sends her off to some of the best schools in the world. Uh, when she's older, he tries to frame her father's death on Daredevil uh, and send Maya after him. But first, and I, I might be misremembering this, but this is definitely weird. <laughs> he uh, wanted to test like Matt's weakness uh, by having Maya meet Matt to explain that, you know, the Kingpin's actually a good person and that, you know, since Maya actually truly believes that, that it would come off as true. Uh, but this all backfires, like, on, you know, Kingpin because she eventually, like, falls in love with Matt and, you know, because, okay. you know, the ladies love Daredevil. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> but, but what ends up happening when she ends up going after daredevil and she fucking like beats him nearly to death like she basically kicks his ass because she not only studies like you know daredevil's fighting style but she also studies like uh bullseye's fighting style mm. so like he's really no match for her so i mean she's on that level as a fighter um and eventually hopefully that gets conveyed on the show but during this confrontation she actually realizes that daredevil is matt and, you know, Matt is able to convince her then that, you know, she's been lied to and that the like, Kingpin's actually the cause of her father's death. So, of course, Maya then goes after Wilson and she, I believe she shoots him in the face, uh, which causes him to be blind for like at least a, like a couple years in the comics. So I know that's a lot to process, but I only share that because at this point, with, you know, all of her connections to the Kingpin, I can't really see any possibility of that not being the Kingpin, honestly. So, I mean, they could swerve us. This could be a total, like, dick boner, you know, situation. But that would be <laughs> fucking awful. So, with that being said, I do believe that big meaty paw that you see in this scene is definitely attached to Wilson Fisk, which is just glorious. I mean 
glorious. If you zoom in enhance like I do, you know, it, it looks like Vincent D'Onofrio's hand, if you ask me. But that's just, you know, are wild you, speculation. Are you studying people's hands? It just looks like it looks the same. It looks the same. You're, you're, a, you're a freak. <laughs> uh, but story-wise, it completely sets yes. up. I mean, obviously, you're trading, you know, Daredevil for Hawkeye, you mm -hmm. know, with her origin. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it should all kind of play out. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a few twists and turns added, you know, to this story. But yeah, I mean, it des definitely looks like we're going to be getting, you know, Kingpin in the series in some form or fashion. I mean, the only real question for me is whether or not, like, this whole story, like Maya's whole story, like, ends up playing out here in this series or if they're going to really save most of it for her own like series which we know is in pre-production as we speak before the title screen we get a more present glimpse at maya who has definitely continued to hone in her skills and fighting abilities and on one unfortunate night we come to learn why the tracksuits and maya fear ronin's return as clint pretty much slaughtered them at some point after the blip and heartbreakingly so maya walked in to see her father getting gutted by ronin so of course in knowing like her origin story i'm sure not everything is as it seems here mm -hmm. uh but at the same time i would say that it'd be the juicier story if Clint did end up killing her father, right? Yeah, I. but it's just the fact that they haven't shown his face involved in any of those scenes yeah. that makes me think, oh, and maybe it's not Clint after all, but I could totally see like, oh, maybe it was like he had been misinformed and that's why he attacked them or some reason like that. Like Wilson like set them yeah. up or something, you know? Um, and I guess that still works because that doesn't really change that it was, you know, by Clint's hand that her father died and that way it still really plays into like Clint's guilt mm -hmm. for everything that he did as Ronan just cutting motherfuckers down. <laughs> Inside an abandoned KB toy store, which God, I forgot even existed when I was younger, we catch our dynamic duo in peril as they are forced to ride mechanical ponies for hours to the tune of Jingle Bells, which would be a nightmare for me personally, but Kate, who pretty much ruined Clint's plans of clearing her from the Ronin suit, finds herself listening to the troubles of what may be one of my new favorite people in the MCU, Tomas, who is apparently fighting with his girlfriend over the imagined dragons tickets he got for her birthday i agree with kate imagine dragons suck so. <laughs> <laughs> they have one or two songs that might get me every once in a while no 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 they okay don't. <laughs> i do love that kate is such a good person that she is like actually trying to give him like uh -huh. honest advice here and help him out but then like clint's face like during all this is just fucking priceless this is when maya walks in to interrogate both clint and kate and see what their connection is to the ronin maya clearly here does not trust that kate isn't in some way tied to the suit Maya is also quickly frustrated by Clint after seeing his hearing aid and lack of sign language skills, noting she believes hearing aids are a weakness. But anyways, Clint tries to fight for Kate's innocence and also claims the Ronin is dead, but Maya isn't buying it. And after getting some painful memories of her father's death, she quickly starts choking Kate. 
Kazi, who is there interpreting for Maya, pulls them apart while Clint is getting himself untied and coming up with a plan for their escape. Clint gives Kate a few words of encouragement while the tracksuits are all distracted to not worry as you know he breaks free and gets the tracksuits and Maya chasing him down. Maya eventually catches Clint with a swift kick to the head, knocking free his hearing aid, in which she proceeds to stop and break. Clint eventually separates himself long enough to find his trustworthy bow, which allows him to pin down Maya and he fires off an arrow that impressively goes through the ear of Kazi and breaks Kate's duct tape bindings. The relationship between Kazi and Echo is definitely interesting mm -hmm. here. You know, like I can't like pinpoint exactly what the dynamic is, you know, because it seems like, you know, he's just kind of like the second in command to her. But at the same time, it feels like the relationship goes a little deeper. Well, and I also think the relationship's going to take a turn later on when we get to a point where, you know, maybe Kingpin gets involved a little bit. Yeah, maybe Kazi turns on mm -hmm. her. Yeah, that's that's probably where they're headed. But she's he seems to be able to, like, talk reason yes. to her at times, you know, and calm her down because she's got a lot of fucking rage. <laughs> this is a pretty awesome sequence here. Um, I do hope we eventually get like a bigger fight scene though between echo and hawkeye um one because i think it's gonna be amazing two i want them to really like show off echoes like skills as a fighter mm -hmm. well i also think there needs to be an, a moment where she kind of teaches him a little bit more what it's like to fight without his hearing aid yes that's definitely where they're headed here mm -hmm. where she like helps him like cope somehow at least eventually you know because i'm wondering if at this point if you know clint isn't going to show up in her series because in the comics they actually do have a relationship not that that's going to be something that they play out here because obviously in the mcu clint is a happily married man uh, -huh. <laughs> uh but they do have a relationship so you know maybe we see you know hawkeye kind of help you know echo you know change her path especially since he's kind of playing as like the stand-in for daredevil at this point. Our unorthodox duo of archers proceed to wipe the floor with all the tracksuit mafia, and upon escaping the, you know, KB toy warehouse, a now deaf and Clint breaks into an Oldsmobile to the dismay of Kate, who wanted to hijack the cherry red 72 Charger pulled straight out of the Hawkeye comic. Now with a bit of a communication breakdown, Clint and Kate struggle as they are getting chased down by the tracksuits during a badass tracking shot. Clint then lets Kate use some of his trick arrows to disable and most likely kill some of the tracksuits. So yeah, I, like she just straight up murdered those people in that van. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no way. Like, yes, there's no way they survived that, right? It's just a fucking, the van just exploded. I was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, I, they didn't even mention it. Like I, I expected like a beat somewhere, you know, during the chase where you'd see them like crawl out of that uh -huh. thing. But no, that never happened. So it looks like Kate's a murderer. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a cute scene with all the trick arrows and stuff, but she definitely killed that guy. <laughs> it just blows up, right? Yeah, it's, he turns gone. on its side. Everything. Like, yeah, they did survive that. Getting themselves caught on the Manhattan Bridge due to a bunch of traffic, the tracksuits attempt to barrel down on Kate and Clint. But with the help of Kate, Clint using a Pym particle arrow enlarges one of Kate's falling arrows to obliterate the back half of Kazi's truck and somehow he still survives which is a miracle but before Maya and Kazi can run down the bridge Kate and Clint jump off and catch a train below this whole chase scene was amazing mm -hmm. uh I mean I definitely hope we get more trick arrows throughout the series I mean it's something that they never really played with that much uh in the films 
I mean, I'll even take the boxing glove arrow, which I actually might have been green arrow. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> give me more trick arrows. There's nothing more comic book than fucking trick arrows. Mm. I also thought the comedy in the scene was perfect. Like just the constant moments of them not being able to understand each other. And also Kate being able to show off her skills as an archer because he hasn't seen that yet. Like in the moment on the train they have after this, you know, he actually finally agrees. Yeah, you are probably one of the best archers I've ever seen. Yeah, he's truly impressed. Um, what was jarring was just how deaf like Clint actually is. Oh, yeah. Like I had like I thought he had some hearing loss, but I didn't realize like he's almost completely deaf. Mm. I mean, it just really like adds another level of depth when it comes to all the sacrifices, you know, he's made to, you know, be a hero. Finally, free of the tracksuits and Maya, Clint and Kate continue to struggle communicating, but make it back to Kate's aunt's home. In this scene, things go from super fun to incredibly sad as Hawkeye gets a call from his youngest son, but can barely understand what's being said. Kate helps translate this depressing exchange as his son is clearly disappointed that Clint's not home yet, but understands why his dad is always away. Clint, trying to hold it together, keeps on promising that he will be home for Christmas, but it's clear after the events of today that it's not a 100% guarantee he will make it. Holy shit, this was fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, I feel like every <laughs> Marvel Disney Plus show has like a moment like this where it just, you know, rips your heart out of your fucking chest and stomps on it. But that's why these series are so great. You know, they're able to get this quality of storytelling about these characters on the screen. I mean, they already had me sold with him and his family in the first episode. This was just brutal. This was just yeah. <laughs> digging a grave for me. I agree. <laughs> For a brief moment, we return to the tracksuits who have to find a new hideout after their current one has been compromised. And to think, Tomas spent so much time finding this one. But anyway, more importantly, Kazi and Maya start having a heated discussion about bringing in too much unwanted attention. Kazi is concerned by Maya's pursuit of the Ronin and is afraid of someone who he calls uncle finding out. Maya, on the other hand, is still determined to get vengeance for her father's death and proceeds to pull the power move of stating, I'm the one in charge here. I mean, we talked about this before, but I mean, this whole like relationship is definitely going to come to play like at some point in this series. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see if it, you know, if Kazi ends up going to her uncle, you know, the Kingpin himself to mm -hmm. kind of rat her out. And, you know, what his reaction will be to that. I don't know. The look in his eye during the scene definitely gave me that feel of like, not for long. You're not in charge for long, you know? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, regardless, he's definitely terrified of her uncle. Meanwhile, Kate and Clint go get his hearing aid fixed and a bite to eat. Kate at breakfast proclaims helping people is her glorious purpose. But as Clint, who has been through, you know, a lot, sits there and listens to her, he feels the need to remind her of everything she could lose. After all, he is currently losing family time because of everything going on with Ronan. Kate, while being stubbornly optimistic, seems to start making, you know, some connections between Clint and Ronan, though I couldn't tell by this exchange if she had figured it out fully. Kate would also go on to explain why they must work together now and how she understands that, you know, she's been causing, you know, Clint to have to be away from his family due to all of everything that's going on. And as they continue to talk about their plans, Clint also alludes to someone being above Maya. Again, seeming like another nod towards Kingpin being a part of this series. 
Kate suggests breaking into her mom's home to use the Bishop security database to get more info on the tracksuits along with more info on her future stepdad Jack after she has a hard time convincing Clint of any wrongdoing. So during this scene you can really feel the weight of everything Clint's like loss like you know hanging over him especially when he brings up not being a role model. Uh, because, of course, he doesn't view himself that way because he knows, you know, everything that he's done in his past, especially mm. like his years, you know, as being Ronan. But you can see how that notion really hurts Kate um, because her whole path in life has been inspired by Clint and like her perception of him as, you know, a hero. I mean, she he literally saved her life so mm. i mean this was another great moment and i really enjoyed kate also like doodling you know his comic book accurate costume on the uh -huh. napkin <laughs> <laughs> i would love to see that costume by the way like actually on the big screen i know they probably won't do it at this point but mm. you know maybe you know without the big h in the middle of you know his forehead but I love that costume person. <laughs> it just doesn't work for this version of Hawkeye. <laughs> I guess, but if he wants to keep his, you know, his identity under wraps, I mean, he should wear a mask. True, but maybe not one with a giant H. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little much. Upon breaking into her mom's place, Kate tries to hack her way through Bishop security, finding info on Kazi, who seems to be connected to a company called Sloan Limited. When Kate tries to look up info on Jack, it seems to be locked behind additional protections that actually ends up getting her locked out of the system and at the same time Clint seems to be sensing a presence as he starts walking away from Kate and once entering the foyer gets met with a sword to his neck as our episode swiftly comes to a close. Listen to you foyer. It's a foyer. <laughs> okay whatever. How dare you. <laughs> this asshole for you. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I'll be interested to see if they use Jack and Clint's like, you know, history together in the comic books, you know, for this series where Jack actually like trains Clint. Um, it definitely feels like they're going to go that route because it would only make sense because otherwise, why would you use a character like the swordsman? It would also be the easiest way to like diffuse the whole situation because like, you know, she'd be seeing someone that she idolizes, you know, getting along with because I mean, she pretty much thinks that he killed Armand and I think seeing him with uh, Hawkeye would make definitely make it seem like everything's just been this big misunderstanding you know, misunderstanding. Yeah. But I also, th I mean, I also think that that's why they cut the episode right there, right as they met, uh -huh. because, you know, they want you to speculate to see, are they going to be enemies or friends in the next episode? I definitely think they're going to be, you know, I think they're going to use that history in that past. I'm also wondering if Jack actually knows that Clint is Ronan. Like if he actually trained him in like swordplay, you know, in the MCU, and that's mm. why he was bidding on his sword at the auction. It would make sense, and it would also be a great way for Kate to find out that he's Ronan too, since I wasn't sure if she had put the pieces together necessarily during that diner scene or not. I just love how true, like, Foggy and crew, you know, tried to stay to the comics and these characters, like, backstory. Because I would never think in a million years that we would, like, you know, get a swordsman appearance in the MCU, let alone mm -hmm. be, like, you know, part of a big series. 
I mean, overall for this week, I think like what I was complaining about the last uh, two episodes where I, I was feeling like I needed a bigger moment. I think this episode really encapsulated everything that they had built up in the previous two and really, you know, actually did hook me this time around. So like I, I like I was sold on everything that we got from Echo and what we got with that big chase scene. And then, you know, again, pulling at our heartstrings with the with the younger son. I just think they really capitalized on everything in these last three episodes altogether. Yes, all that, and we're actually going to have a kingpin sighting. So, uh, crazy. Uh, yes. Now, so do you think the big rumor going around the internet is going to end up being true that it was the kingpin who bought Avengers Tower? I, I'm still on the idea that the Fantastic Four are buying the tower and they mm. will take over, but it's possible. I, I mean, mean, if they wanted to have a villain own it first and then have heroes take it back. I mean, we do have you know, the storyline of, you know, the auction with the watch coming from Avengers Tower. Mm -hmm. I mean, we still haven't seen how that's going to play out. You know, is that going to have a connection to Wilson Fisk? Um, You know, I still like the rumor that, you know, it's going to be the MCU's version of Norman Osborn, you know, who Mm. ends up, you know, owning the tower. But I do feel like that's a stretch. Uh, I I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Exactly. So just join us next week as we break down the fourth episode of Hawkeye. Well, Damon, you finished watching a series this week. That's right. I finished up the first season of Chucky. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Chucky ahead. You have been warned. There's this urban legend about Charles Lee Ray. He was a serial killer who died in the 80s. He terrorized Chicago for years. Prolific. Before he died, he transferred his soul into a good guy doll. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? After a vintage Chucky doll turns up at a suburban yard sale, an idyllic American town is thrown into chaos as a series of horrifying murders begin to expose the town's hypocrisies and secrets. This was created by Don Mancini and stars Zachary Arthur. So since I reviewed the first couple episodes when they first premiered, I wanted to briefly give my overall thoughts of the season as a whole, spoiler free of course. So with that being said, I really found Chucky entertaining as hell. Uh, You know, I thought what Don Mancini was able to do with the first season was extremely impressive. Like he crafted a well-layered story that deepened the lore of Chucky by honoring the past films and characters, but at the same time, like have it revolve around a brand new storyline that had me completely invested for the entire season. So when I first heard about this series, I was worried we were going to get some kind of watered-down version of the films. But I'm happy to report that wasn't the case at all. Instead, I got everything I could ever want from a Chucky series, which is, you know, simply some, you know, creative kills, some great one-liners, the legendary Brad Dorf doing his thing. Plus, as a bonus, I really love the cinematography in the series and actually thought it was an upgrade from what we got previously in the franchise. Now, I will say that the performances were kind of a mixed bag. I mean, ranging from great to maybe a little cringy, but the kids in the series who really carried it were definitely a highlight. And with that being said yes the script at times has a couple leaps of logic in it but you know what i found that completely forgivable and it's nothing that we haven't seen in the series prior so with that being said i'm gonna give the first season of chucky a solid b 
definitely check it out if you haven't. I mean, this is a must watch for any fan of the franchise, but at the same time, I feel like it can make brand new fans also, which is important. And with Chucky being the first of many classic horror franchises going to the small screen, I think it really serve as like a template of how to do it right. And I'm just super excited to see what Mancini does as a follow-up in the newly announced second season. So with that being said, sorry Jack, Chucky's back. Go ahead, check out the show. It's currently playing on the USA Network and the Sci-Fi Channel. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending out invoices or a side hustle Etsy shop or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. Listeners, all you'll need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment needed. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or just drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Really cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. You can save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. And with our promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com. Promo code P-O-D. That's stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Christian, you also watched a series this past week. That's right. I finished the Netflix series Cowboy Bebop. In this solar system, if the cops and the bounty hunters don't get you, the syndicate will. There's no happy ending here. Spoken like a man who's never been in love. I was. What happened? I was dreaming. A ragtag crew of bounty hunters chases down the galaxy's most dangerous criminals. They'll save the world for the right price. The show is created by Christopher L. Yost and stars John Cho. Cowboy Bebop is not only one of my all-time favorites, but it is often regarded as one of the best anime of all time. And while many frowned at the idea of Netflix attempting to make a live action remake, I saw the potential in the anime's translation to live action. The trio's history and story in Cowboy Bebop can speak to multiple generations and makes for timeless tales from their separate perspectives as they go on bounty after bounty without the best of luck. And honestly, I just always felt like there was this big opportunity to make a huge budgeted live action film based on this series. So a part of me held out hope that Netflix if they were to do their best, could possibly make a good version of it. And honestly, a lot of it is just that, good, but the Netflix series does attempt to recreate a good portion of the anime, and its lack of risk is what I believe held it back from being what I would consider a truly great adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. 
with this being such a popular anime there's no shot in hell that you know it wouldn't offend some of the fandom in some way or another i've heard and seen arguments for the show and against the show i've seen people saying that it's too different from the anime and people that have been saying that it's too much of the same and clearly by my opening statements my biggest issue with this show is how much they just remade the anime instead of doing something new and interesting with the source material seriously there are episodes of the show that are carbon copies of the anime and i feel like while moments that are shot for shot are cool i begin to lose interest when the entirety of the series becomes an exact copy of what i have already seen multiple times keeping the core elements of the characters and story are important things to do but here is also your chance to make your mark with a new spin that will create intrigue into what is already a beloved property it's similar to what we already love about like the mcu for example you know how they're being faithful to their characters while also changing it up just enough to make it its own but to give the show some credit where it's due, they absolutely nailed our main trio of Spike, Jet, and Faye, as played by John Cho, Mustafa Shakir, and Daniela Pineda. While I will say there were some moments in Daniel Pineda's performance as Faye that were lacking to me, her chemistry with John Cho's Spike and Mustafa's Jet that allowed me to move past some of her more shakier moments throughout the show. John Cho as Spike fit perfectly for me as I felt he captured the aloof side and true nature of Spike spike perfectly, but it was honestly Mustafa Shakir's Jet that impressed me the most. Not only did he capture the English dubbed voice of Jet, but you could tell just how well he fit into this role of our former detective now turned bounty hunter. It was just absolutely a stellar job by Mustafa Shakir. But on the flip side, the character that I felt they made the biggest mistakes on was Vicious, our main villain of the series, in which funny enough, felt as if they should have maybe followed more of the anime's structure on this character, because in the anime, the character made you know, limited appearances, and when he did appear, you know, made his name worth something to fear. In the anime, his motives and actions weren't as laid out and explained, where here they felt it was needed to give us all the details and ultimately made the character less interesting and definitely less frightening as a whole. I don't feel like it was the actor Alex Housel's fault, I just felt like they wrote him in a way that made him feel more like an annoyance rather than something that would be considered a menace in this show. And more often than not, a bad antagonist is something that really hurts your show altogether. But for the most part, there was never a moment where I was, you know, left angry or annoyed by this adaptation. You know, it was nowhere near the failings of Death Note, but the show struggled to give me a reason for its purpose by practically giving me the exact same show as the anime. And while I love the anime with all my heart, I didn't need a live action shot for shot, line for line remake, but I still wanted something more original from the live action take on the anime. And with all that said, I feel like it's safe to say that that Cowboy Bebop deserves a C plus at the least. What will Netflix adapt next? Who knows? But hopefully this series is a sign that they're starting to get how these adaptations should be. It just needs a little bit more effort in my mind. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week in gaming, we got even more rumors of Sony working on their very own version of Games Pass. 
Bloomberg reports that an unnamed group of individuals within the PlayStation division at Sony have stated that the service will allow PlayStation owners to pay a monthly fee for access to PlayStation's catalog from modern to classic games. The service is said to be available for PlayStation 4 and PS5 owners, and they have plans to release it this upcoming spring in 2022. The plan is also to merge PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now into one subscription. Which, you know, makes sense to me. I always thought PlayStation Now should have been included in PlayStation Plus. Uh, the most important aspect for me when I look at Games Pass is the ability to play titles on PC rather than having to buy an Xbox. And if PlayStation were to allow you to play their titles on PC, I'd be a subscriber in a heartbeat. Right now, the PlayStation catalog just feels more desirable compared to Xboxes. Though with their recent acquisition of Bethesda, the ties may begin turning for Xbox. Competition will, you know, inevitably make both services better. I just hope Sony really tries to capitalize on the PC market because that's where they're very much lacking. Also, on top of that, trying to stream the PlayStation Now service on PC is just too much of a hassle and doesn't work nearly to the capabilities as some of Xbox Game Pass's stream titles. You know, I've said this a million times before, I'm down for all these types of services because it gets more games into the hands of the players and allows more access for those who would like to try the accessibility options of a game before having to drop 60 bucks. All in all, it truly feels like the future of gaming as a whole, and just a wise decision for PlayStation at the end of the day. But again, you know, those are just rumors. I don't know if, you know, those sources can be trusted at Bloomberg or not. So I just wanted to report on it because it is something I think is important when it comes to the gaming industry. And speaking of Xbox, you know, their their biggest game is coming out this week um, with Halo Infinite. And I'll actually be streaming it live this upcoming Saturday. Uh, we had to take a break this week when it comes to streaming just because I need to work a little bit more outside of the stream area and streaming would have taken up just too much time. So we had to cancel our streams this weekend. I do apologize, but we will be live in full force next Thursday as we begin our blockbuster events for um, PCW along with a return to Great Ace Detective. Then, of course, PCW will be live on Friday and we'll be doing two games for AAA Saturday, Guardians of the Galaxy and of course Halo Infinite. And then on Sunday I hope to get back into both Alien Isolation and our playthrough of Mass Effect 3. So make sure that you're joining us live on Twitch every single weekend. I'm happy to do it for you guys. I'm happy to play video games with you guys. Hopefully you join me. Make sure you're following me on Twitch for all that gaming goodness. But besides that, let's move on to wrestling. Talk you about think a coward. I'm going to share the ring with this joke. This joke. He's beneath me. Just like you're beneath me. And you know the word. You know Tony Khan said that we can't touch today. And that you'll be suspended if you do. And man. I would love to slap you in the face in front of all these on, people. Do it, do it, do it, huh? But these jerks don't deserve to see it. All right, Christian, it's time to talk some wrestling. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into this past week's episode of AW Dynamite. Uh, now, a little behind the scenes look uh my internet is a little unstable right now so we're gonna <laughs> fly through this uh not because we thought it was a bad show just because we don't know how long my connection's actually gonna last here 
Exactly. So, <laughs> so let's jump right into it, Christian. Well, this week's episode had JR out, so we had several different wrestlers filling in the position or different commentators in general. And starting off the show, we had Adam Page join us on commentary for our match with the American Dragon versus Dark Order's Alan Angels. So yeah, I guess JR uh, is currently receiving treatment uh, for uh, skin cancer, so we of course wish him the best. Uh, you know, he should hopefully be back within the next month or so. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're continuing the whole gimmick of Daniel Bryan beating the shit out of Dark uh, Order members in their hometown. Uh, Alan Angel apparently is from the Atlanta area. So uh, I thought this was a pretty good match. Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan being the pros pro definitely gave Allen, you know, some shine here, uh, made him look good in front of, you know, his home crowd. But at the same time, you know, beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and flexed uh, while doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. I love this version of, you know, Brian Danielson's character. Um, I'm interested to see where, like, he takes, you know, this character now. Like, will he continue on this path um, after the feud with, you know, Hangman is over? Or if this is more of a, like, he'll turn out of convenience just for this program. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh, but this is definitely a fucking heel turn, Christian. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone arguing otherwise is an idiot. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's still people out there arguing, though. Like, it's insane. They're just being insane. aggressive. I was like, he's ripping on the town. He's definitely a heel. <laughs> and he's acting, he's actually acting cowardly, too, on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, John Silver eventually runs down after the match, you know, because Hangman, they set up where Hangman can't actually get physical with uh, Brian here. So, or he'll be suspended. Because uh, last week they had the big, you know, brouhaha in the middle of the ring. So Khan is, you know, put a like no touch like rule on both of them. So uh, when Silver runs down to the ring, though, Brian fucking, you know, makes a beeline for the back. So, I mean, he's definitely acting like a heel. I would argue the more cowboy shit thing to do would still be to attack Brian and then just show up on the show anyway, even though he's suspended. But it, it is what it is. I get but it. But then he can't have the match. <laughs> he could just bully Tony Khan into give him the match anyway. <laughs> well, then he's the heel Christian. That now, once again, you're not allowed to book. Either way, um, do you think that at this point they keep Brian heel long enough for whenever Kenny Omega returns, and that's how you get a Kenny Omega versus Brian is with the swapped roles? I don't know. I mean, Kenny's not supposed to return. For quite a while, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see if, you know, Brian was holding on to that title as a heel. And then you could set that up where you'd have a complete reverse of their, you know, previous program. Because, um, I mean, there's no way that Kenny's not going to return as a face at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually, you know, a big star like Kenny, anytime they make a huge return, you know, they're going to get cheered no matter what. Uh, but I feel like. They're probably going to go the route of like him versus Cole instead of him versus, you know, Brian. Um, mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, or maybe that's something they eventually set up for the future, too. You know, maybe you set up Kenny Moore as the babyface by having the elite turn on him. And then, you know, after, you know, he does that program, you, you know, move on to Brian versus, you know, Kenny. I just don't see Brian winning the title from Hanging Man Page here. 
Um, you know, not at least at Winter's Coming, which is where they, you know, have set up the match to be, which is mm-hmm. what, like two weeks away. Yes, it's the 15th. Yeah. So, I mean, it's right around the corner. It, it's just way too soon for Hangman to lose that belt. That would be his first defense. So um, that's the only problem I have with this feud is since it's literally going to be Hangman's first title defense, I feel like it's a little predictable that Hangman's going to end up winning. But I mean, maybe they swerve us and, you know, have Hangman kind of go out as like a one hit wonder. I hope that's not the case, though. Um, Well, up next on the show, the Redeemer Miro uh, pretty much sounded like he was challenging God in a vignette, (laughs) but uh, he, he says he's embracing fear now. I don't know what that means for him in the future, but it sounds like he also figured out a remedy for his neck, maybe. I guess. <laughs> Once again, I go back to like a couple podcasts ago, where we were talking about like getting a whole like training montage for Miro, uh-huh. like him like building up his neck again and everything, you know, totally like Rocky Four style, um, you know, with Lana like screaming at him in the background as, you know, Mickey like coaching him up. Um, you know, once again, I do feel like there was a Lana reference here. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see where this is headed. This was definitely different too than any promo that we've ever seen, you know, from AEW is like him Mm -hmm. just on like a white screen yelling. (laughs) I love everything Miro's doing so far though. Oh, absolutely. Up next, we had CM Punk versus Lee Moriarty with MJF coming out as a guest commentator. So last week. MJF and CM Punk had one of the best segments I feel like I've seen in years. Um, Just the back and forth between the two verbally on the mic was just, I mean, astounding. Uh, But this week, I felt like it kind of took a step back. Like this whole segment for me just didn't really work. I know like part of the story is Punk, you know, still kind of like working out the rust um, you know, going up against these younger talent and at the same time kind of establishing them. But like this mm-hmm. match, like for some reason, him and Lee just didn't like click that well. Um, for, for me, at least, um, you know, their chemistry just felt off, especially when it came to like a lot of the mat work. I just felt like you could kind of see the strings which you never really want when you're doing that kind of groundwork. Um, you know, just them kind of like, I don't know, cooperating a little too much with each other, mm-hmm. if you will. So um, the match was fine, but I felt like the crowd never truly believed that like Lee could actually pull off the win here. And honestly, I felt like that tag match he had uh, with uh, Dante and uh, Leo Rush, that was a bigger highlight for Lee, you know, in AEW yes. so far. So... Um, you know, I mean, th- this was the same problem I kind of had with that QT Marshall match. I mean, yeah, I-, I get it. It's part of the story. But man, like, I don't need a 15 minute QT Marshall <laughs> match in my life. No, especially against <laughs> fucking CM Punk. That's just ridiculous. So, I mean, I'm sure it's all going to play out in a satisfying manner and that's fine. Um, but I don't know. It was a little grueling to watch this week, for me at least. Uh, Also, I wasn't a big fan of the back and forth between the two after the match. I don't know if my expectations are just way too high now, but I definitely felt like the exchange was pretty weak. Yeah, the jabs back and forth were a lot weaker for sure this week. I think the only thing I could agree with was like the whole dog part where, yeah, CM Punk should have obviously got pissed off at that and gone out because that's, you know, family in his eyes. But (laughs) everything else was still just felt very random. They didn't establish Mm -hmm. that Larry was in the back. 
you know, maybe if you had Punk walking in with Larry beforehand and then just felt out of nowhere, you know, I know like, you know, he wears the fucking shirts all the time and everything, uh-huh. but I don't know, just felt a little lazy to me. <laughs> uh, it does seem like, you know, Punk's next opponent, maybe at Winter's Coming, is going to be Warlow, though. It did feel like they kind of set that up with Warlow coming out and getting in between like Punk and MJF, so... So and hey, we kn- it was in the journal. Yes, right. Yeah, that was supposed to be one of the pay-per-view matches. So I, I guess we're going to be getting that sooner than later. We also got a backstage interview between the upset Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone, where Britt Baker told everyone that Jamie Hayter and them are still friends and that she'll be going up against Riho next week. Yeah, but if you read between the lines, I mean, they're not friends for long, so there's definitely tension there. No. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm guessing that, you know, Hater's going to eventually be challenging, you know, Britt for that title, maybe within the next couple months, if not, you know, sooner, um, which is totally fine. I just hope it doesn't, like, I don't know, get in the way of, like, Britt and Thunder Rosa finally happening. I did think it was kind of awkward, you know, that Britt didn't, like, bring up the comments that MJF just made about CM Punk trying to get in Britt's pants um, because it just feels like, you know, her character would definitely mention that. Um, You know, I mean, CM Punk has been kind of like, you know, building her up, you know, talking about how like she's replaced MJF as the fourth pillar in the AEW Mm -hmm. and everything. So it just feels like she would mention that. I just don't know how, you know, I don't know how you would react to that statement. And that's maybe why you don't make the comment. Uh Right. Because like, how does it pay off? And then Mm -hmm. after this, we have Adam Cole come out, who should definitely be like making a comment about it. Exactly. I mean, when he came out, he's already attacking uh, Shivani on the mic, you know, saying like, don't we're not friends. Yes. Like, yes. (laughs) For like almost the exact same shit in the past. So I don't know. Yeah. And then his Uh, whole and yeah, he comes out next and then like. He goes all the way down, does his full entrance so, you know, the the crowd can fucking pop for it and everything, which is fine. You know, you got to give the people what they want. But then he goes all the way back to the commentary booth and then sits down only to be interrupted by, you know, Orange Cassidy. So they can really, like, kickstart their feud. Um, It just was the way that they laid it all out was really awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, and I almost wish, you know, he would have just like gone down to the ring and then Orange Cassidy, like, you know, interrupts him in the middle of, you know, his whole like spiel. So, I, you know, him like going back and forth and sitting down, like, w- what was he about to like commentate on? Like, why was he I know I was like, is there a match happening or like, <laughs> I know they said that they're going to have different people filling in for Jr. throughout mm-hmm. the show, but it just was a little weird for me. Um, are you invested in this like Orange Cassidy, Adam Cole? like feud i think it's going to be a great match i'm not super into it just yet i I mean they haven't sold me on like why adam cole and orange cassidy would really hate each other at this point i mean they had the tag match on rampage and everything yeah but i don't know i wasn't really that impressed i mean it was a fine match but it's Uh a lot of comedy and i don't know i it just didn't do that much for me, honestly. Uh, it just feels like, oh, well, we've got, you know, the super elite, they're a trio, and then you've got the best friends, and they're uh-huh, a trio. They're true. It's like, just fucking bring on the trio titles at this point. Exactly. Like, if we're going to do these, like, trio, <laughs> trio like, feuds, then just fucking, you know, give us the belts. Come on. I don't know. Maybe they're still in, like, the melting process. Who knows? 
Uh, up next, Wardlow came out with Sean Spears to go up against AC Adams in a very short match. <laughs> Honestly, this week, like the whole order of the card just feels off to me because like you would think that you would have Wardlow come out like right after his confrontation with CM Punk and yes. do this squash match to kind of establish like what kind of beast he is. You know, I mean, they're definitely like planting seeds for a Wardlow like, you know, face turn. Um, I mean, it's a slow burn story, but I mean, they're definitely it feels like they're on their way to that because he did give kind of Spears a sideway look when after the match Spears jumps in with the chair and starts to beat on, you know, who who the hell did he just beat? Lee something? Uh, AC Adams. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt like glorified filler just because Wardlow hasn't had a match on Dynamite for a while. So, but no, yeah, I mean, I felt like it would have made more sense to have warlow just immediately go to his match after punk walked away yeah like that's what i was expecting even on commentary during that moment they were talking about oh yeah warlow's gonna be up next in a match mm-hmm. and then we got oh, this really? whole shit with adam that. cole okay. so it was like oh okay what was i didn't know what was going on yeah i mean so i mean if you would have had warlow destroy someone in the ring and stare down punk afterwards that definitely would make more sense and really play into that mm-hmm. story but you know this just feels like an afterthought uh, well, either way, we had the Gun Club with Billy and Colton going up against Sting and Darby Allen. I mean, this was a fun enough match. I, I still I can't get over Sting out there at like 60 something years old, you know, wrestling fucking full matches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and looking good while doing it. Uh, I like them changing up the face paint and everything. I, it's going to make for a great like chase like action figure down the line, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know where they're going with the gun club here. I mean, this is their first loss in like two, three years. <laughs> so um, like, are we going to eventually give them a title shot or what? I mean, it definitely seems like they have plans for them since we're seeing more and more of them on dynamite instead of just you know elevation or you know dark uh i'm just curious if this was more of a case of them just needing an opponent for darby and sting or you know if they're trying to really like establish the gun club as you know players in the tag team division because once again they were undefeated for a couple years (laughs) so the fact that they haven't had a title shot makes no sense yeah with them like focusing on that undefeated streak i was wondering if they were going to win this match so that when they went up for a possible tag title match they would have that under their belt but i i get it you know you want sting to have that big moment <laughs> yeah especially in atlanta i mean they and uh-huh. they definitely made sure to establish that and talk about that on commentary um do you think darby and sting end up going after the tag titles um i mean they've been winning non-stop so i i don't see a reason why not but I feel like that would have to be on a like t- one of their TV specials. I wouldn't want that at, like one of the big pay-per-views or something. Yeah, no, I, it would be a short thing. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, no, I'm not sure. I mean, with, you know, the Lucha Brothers being, you know, champs right now and, you know, baby faces. I don't know if that's in the near future or not. Mm hmm. Well, meanwhile, in the back, Chris Jericho was having an interview with Alex Marvez calling out 2.0 and Daniel Garcia uh, pretty much stating that he wasn't there to help Eddie Kingston for some reason. Um, he was just there to go after 2.0, uh, which is, I guess, is fine. I, I I had no problem with him helping out Eddie Kingston, even though he doesn't help out his own team when they're in danger <laughs> half the time. So, but <laughs> well, so 
after they didn't really show it on Rampage, but uh, after the match, Kingston was like yelling at Jericho that he didn't need his help. But that mm. didn't happen on screen. So it is weird that he kind of brought that up, um, you know, because that's kind of what he was referring to. But I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen on Rampage. That's just something no. that happens after the show goes dark. Um, but yeah, no. So the, it was a weird moment. Uh, Jericho's actually out of the country right now. So this is actually a segment that they shot prior just to kind of oh, write okay. him off the show for the next like week or so. Uh, so it, it looks like we're going to have some kind of like team up between him and Kingston. Uh, we'll see where that leads. And another commentator moment, we had Taz, who's pretty much now going to fill in that role for the rest of the show, get into an altercation with Leo Rush as Leo Rush came out to pretty much, you know, I, I don't know what Leo Rush was, his plan was there. You know, he was upset that Dante Martin had, you know, signed the contract, but shouldn't he, I feel like he should go into a match with Dante at this point. If anything, yeah, it was just kind of confronting Taz, but it was really awkward. Uh-huh. And I don't know if the audience could hear what Taz was saying back and forth between Leo at this point. I don't remember. Does he grab like a house mic? He does grab a mic. Okay. Like a little bit, but he does start on his headset and then switch over. Okay. So it was a little awkward there. But like the crowd, it was just like crickets during the segment. Mm-hmm. I mean, Leo's able to kind of get them back into it and wake them up at the end. But like, once again, like these like ramp, you know, promos, these segments just felt off this week and just weren't mm-hmm. really like clicking. Especially since he comes out talking about all these jokes that Taz was making with, he was doing the whole Scott Steiner, like my team has 125% chance of winning, you know, in this battle Royal because they're out here. And then he's like, well, they only have that hundred percent because you have Dante on, you know, your side and stuff like uh, that. It's like the crowd doesn't know what he's talking that's about. That's true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good point. I mean, this is all going to be a huge swerve. I mean, I'm sure Dante's just going to end up turning on Team Taz during the whole uh, Diamond Dynamite Battle Royal, whatever the hell it's called. We did talk about that. But they uh, MJF brought up that they were having that Battle Royal uh, next week. So uh, I guess that's annual. I mean, you, right? Yeah, they did two. They've done two so far. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Diamond Ring is something MJF has to defend every year. <laughs> It's weird. I don't know. Um, but it's one of those quirky AEW things, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if Punk somehow gets involved in that, too. And maybe, like, costs MJF the match? Possibly. Uh, but then who gets that stupid ring? Dante Martin. <laughs> when right. he turns on Team Fair Taz. Enough. Right? <laughs> Booked. Book it. <laughs> um. In our semi-main event, we had Chris Stratlander versus Ruby Soho as part of the TBS Women's Title Tournament. I thought this was a great match. Uh, probably one of the best matches in the tournament so far. Um, I thought you know both wrestlers really clicked well together. I mean, Ruby, once again, with her amazing facials. Uh, I'm yes. sure <laughs> a couple of them have been gifts already uh, online. So, uh, But Chris Statlander's really grown a lot you know, since you know she's joined the company. And I really consider mm-hmm. her like on the upper echelon you know, in the women's division at this point. Uh, she had a great match with Britt and, you know, Ruby brought out the best in her. Um, but yeah, Ruby ended up winning the match in a great, like, you know, 50, 50 kind of 
you know, back and forth between the two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ruby's moving on, and it looks like she's going to be facing Nyla, who actually end up attacking her after the match. Yeah, but again, I'm super impressed with Chris as she's moved on in this company. I definitely agree with you. She's in the upper echelon there. But it'll probably be a while before we see her go up against Britt Baker again. Oh, and, yeah. You know, cause there's so many people in line. But I still, I'm still not over Ruby Soho. Like when uh, Chris Statlander kicked out <laughs> at two and she's just on the ropes, just freaked out the entire time. Great facials. But last but not least, in our main event, we had the Atlanta street fight between Cody Rhodes and Andrade El Idolo. So overall, I mean, this was a pretty entertaining match, but once again, like it had a little too much like Gaga in it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just kind of a staple of, you know, a Cody Rhodes match nowadays. I mean, it feels like he literally has to have everything in the kitchen sink like thrown in to all of his matches. I mean, like literally like we have like fucking like guest star appearances, like cameos yes. in the middle of his fucking <laughs> matches nowadays. So the one thing I do feel like AEW needs to get better at is like building up their main events, like throughout the show. Like I wish they would do more like mini like video packages. They don't have to be super long, but like somewhere you know, throughout the show, like get the crowd hyped, you know, the audience hyped to see the Mm. main events, like give me a video package, you know, going down the history of the feud, why it's main eventing and, you know, really hook people in because I feel like they, they forget that piece sometimes. I mean, other times they nail it and, you know, they they're so good at it, too, when they do do it like it's fantastic, but it's just not a consistent thing with them. Um, so I, I do want them to work on that. Um, but you know, who the fuck am I? What? <laughs> gotta listen to me. Um, so anyway, I mean, Cody and Andrade, they worked well together cause they're both extremely talented athletes. Um, but at times the match did feel a little like busy. Um, you know, just with all the, you know, sight gags, you know, with the fucking sledgehammer and the golden shovel. And I like, I was like, what? Which I'm ready to move past like, the sledgehammer. Exactly. And like, once again, it's just jokes at this it's point. It's just overindulgent, you know? And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why the crowd's turning on Cody, you know? Like, everything he does is overindulgent. I know that's like part of his character, kind of. And like, you know, it's kind of a carryover from the heel version of Cody Rhodes. But, like, we haven't really established the heel version of Cody Rhodes in AEW. That's like, you know, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Cody Rhodes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think because of that, like, they haven't established that and set that up in AEW. That's kind of why, you know, it leaves the crowd with a bad taste in their mouth. Because it's like, who the fuck is this guy? I mean, look at those stupid boots. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean... (laughs) I love Cody, don't get me wrong, but I understand why Mm. the crowd's kind of turning on him. Now, last week I was talking about, like, this whole storyline and how I thought maybe, like, this was just a really complex way of turning, like, Cody heel. Well, after this match, I'm convinced it's the exact opposite. Cody desperately wants to be cheered. um, Because he was willing to literally light himself on fire. To get, like, mm-hmm. the adulation of the crowd. Like, it just reeked of, like, desperation to me. Because um, the spot just wasn't really needed. Like, I mean, yeah, it's a spectacle and everything. But, 
what are you fucking doing, man? <laughs> like, I don't feel like this spot was warranted in this match. Like, this isn't some long, like, running blood feud. You mm. know, really, Cody's beef should be more with, like, Malachi Black, not Andrade. Yes. So it would have made more sense if this was, like, the rubber match between the two. Um, you know, him and Black, not Andrade. So, like, for this spot to be in this match was just, like, I know they're in his hometown and, you know, he wants to do something big and memorable. But it, it once again, just it feels overindulgent, like it, just unnecessary. And like once he got that big pop from the crowd after the spot, like you could see like mm. how much it meant to him. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Cody, this is just kind of sad at this point, man. <laughs> you know, because like I, I don't think he would even get that pop if he was, you know, not in Atlanta, like if he was somewhere else, if he wasn't in his hometown. So, I mean, I don't know, man. You could argue that he could use this towards his heel turn later on where he's like, I literally let myself on fire for you people and you still boo me. Mm. But I, I don't know. It's it's just very honestly, I would love to see him actually win back the crowd and then turn on them. You know, that would be yes. great. <laughs> like they start cheering. Him, he's like, no, fuck you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, just a bit much like Brandy coming in. In disguise, like, I don't know why Brandy had to be in disguise to come out. Right. No. I mean, and, you know, with the lighter fluid and then, you know, and then Cody has to awkwardly, like, sit on the top rope waiting for her to, like, actually set the table on fire. Uh, like, throughout the match, he had that weird layer of shit on his back yeah. that they tried to kind of explain away. But, like, right when I saw it, I was like, okay, no, something's going on here. <laughs> Um, he could have easily wore a yes! shirt and that would have distracted yes, from that. Yes, he could have I, had the shit still on his back to protect him, don't get hmm. me wrong, and had a shirt over it. And then, like, once you get close to the spot, then you take off the shirt. I don't know if he was just worried about the stuff, like, rubbing off of him. But also, it's a street fight, so it'd be okay to wear a fucking yeah. shirt. I mean, don't kill yourself, man. Are you insane? <laughs> and then, like, pieces of the table actually, like, burnt to him. Did you see that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw the burning what on him. What are you him. doing to yourself? <laughs> Fuck the fans. <laughs> Jesus, it's not worth that. Turn heel for crying out loud. I mean, and then like, he's like, like he took the brunt of everything too. Like Andrade yes. like kind of missed the tables, right? Which I can forgive. I get like with a spot like that, shit's going to go wrong. It's more about the spectacle than anything. But like, you know, like I'm seed, just... like Cody you know, make the cover after like going through a flaming table and taking most exactly. of it. And then like, he's literally on fire still. And Andrade has to put his shoulder out while he's like getting pinned. Like <laughs> it just was, I don't know, man. It just didn't do it for me. Like Andrade, like, there's definitely like, they could have done a superplex or something where Andrade would have taken at least 50% yeah. of the table, you know, like where I mean, it would have sure made that was sense. the plan. It just didn't work out that way. And he just kind of mm -hmm. overshot it. And it shit happens, I guess. But I don't know. It just, it was unnecessary. You know, the spot was completely unnecessary. It's a memorable moment. Mm -hmm. But it just wasn't needed. And I don't think it's going to accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. We should have known that this match is going to be nothing but Gaga from the moment Andrade walked out with a briefcase and a giant knife sticking out of it, you know, and, and doesn't use it in the uh -huh. match, of course. But it's a cool visual. 
Yes. <laughs> I'm digging the black mask no, look I and love everything. It. I, but... I love it. Yeah, and with the whole bag of knives and everything, he looked like uh, Dr. Decker from uh, Nightbreed. So I, I really <laughs> dug it. But, like, once again, it, there's a lot of Gaga. and I mean, but when it starts to kind of defy logic, that's when I have a problem. Well, it's like, when was the last time Cody had a match that didn't have all this extra shit in it? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. He did have that tag match last week. But even then, like, he still ended up being the center of attention, you know, from the mm-hmm. apron when he, like, threw the belt into the crowd and they threw it back at him. <laughs> Which you could tell at the time that he was generally hurt by, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, man. I don't know. I- people were trying. Were, people were definitely yelling at the person who caught it this week, too, to yell, to throw it really? back. I caught people Just in the audience saying, like, alone. throw it. <laughs> That's a, I mean, that's it'd be pretty awesome to catch one of those belts. I'd keep the fucker. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> Probably go for a fortune. Oh, on eBay, absolutely. Right? Give me a break. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't throw that shit back. <laughs> I mean, if it was just a T-shirt, that's one thing. But come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, either way, the show was for me still decent for the most part. But there was definitely it was definitely clunkier. Than the last no, few I weeks. agree. Something about the match order and the way they like transitioned into different like segments of the show just felt mm. off. But I mean, they're still a young company and they're working out the kinks, so it's forgivable. I mean, WWE's been doing it for how many years, and they have months like this. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week we'll be breaking down the fourth episode of Hawkeye and probably some other stuff. <laughs> we just don't know what yet. Exactly. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll also be talking wrestling, of course, in another great episode of AEW, hopefully. You know what we won't be talking about, Christian? What? NXT War Games. That looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this 2.0 shit, man. Is that this weekend? Yeah. No, we're not watching That's it. I'm not watching I'm not I mean, paying attention. You can watch it if you want, but I'm not. They're doing this whole old versus new thing. Whatever. Anyway, people don't care about that. I liked War Games. I loved nah, uh, you won't what's like his name this version of War it. Games. Trust me. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Yes!